space-time the ever-expanding frontier these are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the star trek franchise ever its mission to locate every second and contemplate every eon from outside time to the big bang all the way to the end of all existence to do what no sane entity has ever done before this is the temporal trek podcast um, we move into the park, and yes, as we've mentioned before, uh, Spock gets booned away, but they do have one of my favourite lines, where he said, you sure you won't change your mind and you know, join us at the restaurant? And he says, there's nothing wrong with the one I have. <laughs> just, it's just a C-stupid line, but I absolutely love it. Um, it's the kind of line that your dad says at Christmas, and you have to let him like, have it, because actually, <laughs> yeah, Paul's admitting to it, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You've played the Christmas cracker, it didn't quite work, the joke didn't work, so let's try a different joke as well. Um, it just reminds me of that um, the restaurants between the two of them again playing into this idea that Gillian is his equal you know she she's not just forward for him just because there's candle she is literally like plugging him for information as he's trying to get information at the same time they are just playing off each other it's just a nice little scene and it all ends with um, I guess they don't have me in the 23rd century any more to say on this scene the restaurant I I need to drink some milk. I've never dr- I've never drunk any. I need to need to drink some. And I mean, it's just it's just Kirk and uh, Gillian just doing their thing hilariously again. And the fact he doesn't actually tells her the truth. He actually goes to all the trouble of telling her. And got the famous quote, "I'm not from I'm not from Iowa. I'm from Iowa. Only working out of space." A classic line. Not one I get to use that often, but it is it is a, a cracker. <laughs> Not one I use often. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just it's just another like I mean, this is why we love this film. This is why everyone this is the best Star Trek film because each scene is better than the scene before. It's just solid gold. Got to stop gushing about it now. We are on the Enterprise, and uh, it's all about the Russian being interrogated. Um, you know, uh, my name, your name? No, I don't know your name. All this backwards and forwards. Uh, obviously, at this point in history, we've had someone tried for selling secrets to Israel. Uh, so, you know, spies are in the midst, and we've got the Cold War going on. But even in an interrogation scene, there are still loves to be had and books to be played. And again, we've got future technology being taken by the U.S. government being laid there out on the table just as we've seen in pre- uh, previous episodes uh, yeah. any thoughts on the integration and the chasing yeah I mean it was, it was a faulty piece of equipment anyway it didn't work when he tried to press so yeah I'll let them have they won't understand what it is it's brilliant anyway well, you've, you've just right this is the height of the Cold War uh, you're in San Diego the heart of the military uh, you know uh, the, the, the naval base You've just found a Russian, for the sake, in the middle of your thing, trying to steal something from the ship. It could have been getting secrets or whatever. You take him to, well, it's not the brig, it's just a big sort of office. You don't put any guards on the door. What? So all you have to do is turn around away from the people that are supposed to be interrogating, (laughs) run out of the door, and they're all going, oh, he's run away. Hmm. <laughs> it does seem like he wasn't really taking this seriously. Like, you know, he must have been aware, even if he's not aware of the Cold War, he must be aware of the threat that breaking into a military installation comes with. And he does not seem to take that seriously at all. And maybe he doesn't have a, res- a respect for the 20th century, century military. Um, perhaps he just knows that he's going to get beamed out at some point and he's just enduring this for a few minutes. Um, 
but also I did think it was funny that when he was running away, he was following the signs clearly labelled escape route with a big arrow. So he knew exactly, he knew exactly where to go. But I guess it must be this way. <laughs> but again, I, li- I like it because it's a very clever piece of writing because it's easy, isn't it? You you beam in, you get what you want, you beam out, and that starts all over. But then to say, oh, one gets left behind. Yeah, oh, my God, that's a that's a dilemma. How, and then he's caught. I mean, well, how are you going to get out of this? Then he escapes, he runs away. You think, oh, great, he's going to get away. And then he falls over and he's unconscious. You think, well, oh. How's he going to get the ship now? Oh, of course, they take him to hospital, <laughs> yeah. and then he's off the ship. That's brilliant. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, obviously decent that way, but what a <laughs> clever bit of writing to get him. Up, you know, how do you get him off the ship so we can then rescue him? Because he can't beam everybody in there to them. It just wouldn't work. It's a tactical choice by uh, Chekhov. He knows he'd be taken to the hospital. He injures himself. He injures himself on purpose. Now, obviously, chess is a run invention, as Chekhov will tell you. So that's probably why, you know, he's just thought a few steps ahead. Um, Gotti and Spock are going to re-energize the crystals using the photons that they've gathered, but now they need to get their men back. Um, uh, it's another Scotty estimate. He says, I'll have it done by tomorrow, but your boss calls down and says, oh, no, it's not good enough. You need it better than that. Um... But I do like the the little interplay between Scotty and Spock. I don't think you see it very often in TOS. Just the two of them in a in a scene together, and he's like he's in a bit of a sit and or sort of that that lower desk kind of humour, that kind of you know, looking at it from the guys who have to deal with the orders whilst the captain's upstairs getting all the glory. You know, it's just a nice little scene. Um, any thoughts on that before we move on? No, I think, I think that that bit bypassed me. Yes, it's just, I must admit, I didn't I didn't see that. It's just, it's just that odd thing of just like the two guys who have to deal with the problem but aren't like in charge, having to you know just talk you know talk shop whilst they're waiting for these crystals to energize. It's just it's just funny to me. Um, the Citation Institute. We get Jillian. She's been left out of the loop, and the was gone. Da da da. There's even the music cue just to make sure that you know this is a problem. It's a problem for the crew to come over. Um, now, thinking about continuity, thinking about what might happen to our timeline, Jillian uh, is going to disappear at the end of this scene completely. She's just had a visible altercation with her boss or colleague, it's never quite clear, um, in front of everyone who was cleaning out all the tanks. So everyone's seen this big slap, and suddenly this woman has disappeared. They've had a big argument, and uh, someone's disappeared. Is he going to get blamed for this? Is he going to be getting a phone call from the police, you know, coming for questioning, we've got this missing person, high-profile person? There's a bit of an argument going on here. Could this change the timeline? Is someone going to get imprisoned that were falsely doing something? Yeah, it's a bit of a sticky one. I think it's mentioned at some point somewhere, although I can't remember it specifically. She does say that she hasn't got any family or nothing to go mm. back to. Mm. So in the long term, yes, but in the short term, if if something like that happened in, your, in any place of work and the next person, the person's gone, HR, I've got to get involved here. Say, um, where, where are they resigned? Where are they? Might call her home, but with no other relative, got nobody else to call. They might just say, well, okay, she's gone off and resigned or whatever. So they just could, could they could put her off and she disappears, you know, that way. True, true, true. But what if he sort of then tries to follow up? He tries to find her and he goes to her apartment. Maybe you know that you know she could get there or something like that. And he was maybe falsely accused of something. You've got someone who has to live a different life now because she has left the timeline. Any thoughts on that? I certainly think there'd be an investigation into her disappearance. Although I don't think. I don't think they would lay the blame. I think it would be hard to say that he had killed her because obviously there is no evidence that she has died. Uh, she's just no longer around. 
Um, it may be that he has to undergo some scrutiny for a little while, especially regarding him getting a, a slap round the chops. But I don't think he would end up. I don't think he'd be arrested for this. I think he would be under a little bit of scrutiny just for a, as part of the investigation into what happened to the missing person. But I don't think anything untoward would become of him. That's cool. I, That's it. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bit more worried about the fact that they have taken uh, Julian out of this timeline into the future. In that timeline, there is now a lump of mass missing. Mm. And you cannot take... You cannot draw mass you can, uh, or energy. Actually, you can't destroy energy. You can only change its state. So they've taken them energy out of that timeline. It can't be done. They have to fill it with something else. And they've taken... Two, two whales. whales as well. And all the water. Yeah. And water? the high energy photons. They've stolen all the photons from the nuclear vessel as well. Mm. So they've taken a lot of stuff out of timeline, but not given anything back. So that's a good, good point. Um, I've completely missed over this point. Um, a few scenes back, the helicopter scene with Sulu, and now Sulu is now delivering what he's uh, uh, going to be bringing with all the plexicorp um, transparent aluminium. But Sulu was asking some questions about a military grade vehicle. Don't you miss a time when you can just walk up to anyone and talk about this vehicle for some purpose where I have to carry heavy equipment and, you know, don't ask questions. I just want to borrow this helicopter. How did Sulu do this? Um, Again, it's a, it's, a scene, it's a scene that wasn't uh, filmed. Um, the idea was Sulu goes into the helicopter and talks to the guy. The guy goes off for his break. He then jumps in the helicopter and steals the helicopter. However, George Takai had just done the New York Marathon. Uh, the day before, or the Los Angeles Marathon, one, I'd done a marathon anyway the, the day before, and was so tired, he couldn't jump into the helicopter. He was supposed to run and jump into the helicopter, he could do it. So they tried to get some stagehand, throw him in, but that didn't work, it didn't look convincing enough, so they scrapped the scene. <laughs> so he stole a helicopter? Yeah, <laughs> basically he stole the helicopter. He he took him, the guy wasn't looking in the way he Amazing. I mean, where do you even go... I'm not sure I'd go to find a helicopter. There's a helipad, you know, in the hospital, but there's just never a helicopter to land. Where, where do you go to find a helicopter? I, I was a bit lost at that point. I thought maybe he's got a military base as well. I wasn't sure where, where he'd gone to find a helicopter. But they must maybe. be just... Yeah, they would be too busy arresting the Russians. So, yeah, yeah, he got away with, you know, getting the helicopter. Yeah, maybe yeah. That, that's true. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, we obviously we get the uh, plexiglass, um, the plexicorp, um, transparent aluminum being loaded in um we now get the mime scene with jillian sort of holding her hands against the invisible cloaked ship uh, any thoughts on the miming it's quality best mime i've ever seen <laughs> i should just do a screenshot of this just all of us <laughs> i won't say a bad word about the mime <laughs> there we go um <laughs> screenshot taken and uh... <laughs> Fortunately, this is an audible podcast, so we can't see it. Oh, I've got social media. Don't worry. I've got social media. Uh, the tank gets assembled, and we now get uh, the plan to rescue Chekhov. The entire hospital scene from beginning to end. There's so many things to start. You've got to do kidney lady. The old kidneys. <laughs> swill the pill. That's another, maybe that, that is going to dis- Maybe, you know, she'd have passed away from kidney failure. But now she's not going to pass away, and she goes on to do something amazing that counters all the, the energy and mass lost from having the whales and Julian taken oh, away. She's the, she's the turnaround. Whatever she does, she, I don't know, starts doing some charity work, or you know, maybe she's like a, a Colonel Tom figure. She just cracks on to a full century, raises millions of pounds, military honours. It's a whole thing. 
<laughs> she's she's sadly passed on. Her kidney is still working just because it's got this thing, whatever it is, inside. It's a new kidney. A superhuman immortal kidney. Which never ever dies. Superhuman immortal ki- kidney has got to be the other title for this episode. If I turn this... This is turning quite into a long one, so I'll have to split it into two. And just murder she wroting and superhuman kidney. There we go. Uh, That's the title of your new po- your new podcast, isn't it? It's Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me ideas, Paul. You know that's a bad road. Um, <laughs> uh, drilling holes in his head, the medievalism. Uh, any any thought on uh, cranky bugs? It's really this is such a, a vehicle for DeForest Lee to, to have a real go being bones and cranky and being the gold uh, doctor that we know and love. You know he's yeah, the, 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 it's the old. Uh, oh, what does he say? One of his, you know, it's like you say medieval uh, doctor and all that, and it's just like going to the dark ages and all that. It's just brilliant. It's, you know, the, how pill for a kidney, uh, uh, putting the little plastic Klingon bird of prey thing on the guy's head to make him better. You know, all the type of thing. It's just, it's just great. You know, the, the whole scene. You know, you, as running away, the woman comes back saying, "I've got a kidney. I've taken a pill and grown a kidney." It's just fully functioning. Phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Absolutely. The whole, the whole setup is brilliant. I mean, it's all done for kicks. You know, laughs and giggles. But yeah. Great. And the chase music. It's just, it's so classically TOS. Just like, do 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 do. You can, you can hum it in your mind because it stays in your head the whole time. And everything's <laughs> crashing at the right points, and it's just so good. It is, and it's so on Star Trek. When it comes on, you, this isn't Star Trek. This is ER gone mad. You know, it's just weird. Uh, any more thoughts, Ross, before we move on from the hospital scene? Uh, postprandial upper abdominal extension. Just want to say that out loud. <laughs> well done, man. Well great. done. I could great. not have said that any better. I really couldn't. <laughs> but no, that's true. Yes, you've got to use cramps. Cramps is the best best excuse. It sounds the best. So perfect, perfect. Um, they beam out and go back to the ship. Gillian sort of outfoxes Kirk by uh, jumping in the transporter. My only thoughts was, why did they not just leave the open for him to come on and then he could sort of be lowered or brought back into the ship without transporter beam? Seemed a bit of a waste of energy having just recrystallized all the dilithium. But yeah, yeah. fair enough. You know, and why didn't they put on the transporter pad like the uh, unicorn dog thing from the original series? You know, it's just the two of them mixed together. You know, <laughs> I still don't get that. I don't know how they can really go to beam up one. Suddenly there's two. Did they, if they've got a super intelligent um, transporter there, they could split them. How did that work? Maybe they come, you know, fused together like a Tuvix situation. And, yes, exactly. Uh... <laughs> okay, I could have enjoyed that so much. Uh... I'm not going to go into that. Uh, they take off and knock over the joggers who haven't discovered that there was a giant ship in the middle of the place where they've been running. Uh, but it takes off now and they start to realise and um some of the best acting i've ever seen about being blown <laughs> over for goodness sake. What, what the hell was that and they they can perfectly <laughs> heard even though everything's been blown around <laughs> yeah. we now go and rescue the whales uh, the big you know the action scene of the piece you know we've got the klingon bird of prey chasing the whaling ship are they gonna get there in time there's all this drama there's all this tension there's all the music all building up and the harpoon is firing and then ding the the classic just let down of all the tension the it's anticlimactic, but for a good reason. It's just so f- perfect comedy again. And um, any thought on this whole scene, the whole chase sequence? Ah, yeah, I love it. It's, uh, one of my favourite films is Blue Thunder. If you guys have ever seen that um, helicopter, police helicopter with 
guns and rockets and things on the side of it, which is obviously highly controversial, gets stolen by a guy who the pilot who's the test pilot. And the scene where he's got his girlfriend to get some video evidence against the people who have been making this thing and uh, they're on a bridge and she stood there and she's been pulled over by a police guy because she's been driving quick to get this evidence to you know the new TV news station. And while they're arguing, stood there on this bridge, the helicopter just arises from behind the policeman and you see this with guns and rockets and just just comes up. And that's what I think when I see this um, this scene where the ship. You just turn it round, and there's this massive bird of prey just sat there. They're going, turn the boat round, turn the boat round, as if that's going to do anything. If anything, go forward underneath it and disappear on the other side. Don't turn the boat round. This guy's got the biggest bit of string on his rudder I've ever seen. He's flipping this this wheel round and round and round and round. The string must have snapped. He's still going round. This this boat's just going round in the circle beneath the bird of prey for the day. I do like it. It's a good scene. Any thoughts, Ross? They mention a sort of, I mean, they mention whaling tours and harpooning and why it's being hunted to the brink of extinction. So it's good that you actually get that in the film and you actually see the threat the whales are under. And I suppose it's sad because we know that's that still still happens now. That hasn't stopped. And at the time, this was like, you know, a controversial topic. We know this is something that needs to stop and we haven't stopped it. And yet here we are 35 years later. And they're still having that exact same conversation, and we know it's still a problem, and they're that much, that much worse. And maybe another reason this film stands best of time is because it, it's, you know, one of its really blatant and clear messages is that we are doing something we shouldn't do, and now we have to stop, and we're still doing it. So I'm glad they showed it, and I'm glad they showed it was a, a thing that we don't definitely don't want to be doing. Yeah, I had the exact same thing. You know, if my name was uh, if a Greenpeace or someone would have a bird of prey, everything could be easily sorted. It'd be so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't go wrong. No, that no, no, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. Stop we'll... doing that. Stop <laughs> those. <laughs> Just decloak every time, every time. Um, it also put me in mind of the episode in the timeline, the harpoon bouncing off a clean ship. Uh, obviously they were taking bullets out the shuttle pod of the Enterprise shuttle pods back then uh, it just proves how much tougher Klingon ships are because they can take a full hit from a harpoon travelling yeah. straight through it bounces straight off absolutely fine we then get 400 tons it's not just the whales it's water all being beamed in and we get uh, a really nice scene I really like the, just the idea that now Gillian appreciates Kirk because she can see, you know, he has that heart and soul of the man of the ocean. He's quoting poetry, and you know, we're talking about the whales. It's a bit more serious, but it's the final bit of their relationship. I think it's the, the idea that they we're going to have a romantic relationship comes from this scene. Up till now, they've been sort of playing off each other, but now I think she appreciates who he is. Any thoughts? Mm. Did you read the poem? I didn't read the poem. I was going to, I, I, I haven't. I read it. It's it's amazing, bizarre poem. It really goes off on a tangent I was not expecting. But honestly, three minutes, it's worth reading. Just for the... Sh- it was A Whale's Weep Not by D.H. Lawrence. Oh, I and I did not realise where that poem was going to go. But totally worth minutes of your time to have a look. <laughs> Maybe I'll, uh, I'll read it up after done with this uh, with this episode. So Have a, have a, have a good reason. <laughs> I've got time to kill in this bubble before we move on to the next case. <laughs> so it's all good. Um... Uh, who knows anything about the whales, she says. Um, now, at this point, we haven't had a scene to say, you know, that this was anything other than a repopulation mission. But there are still whales in the future, just not enough of them. Um, you know, surely there must be someone she must have thought knows something about whales. But no, 
nobody knows Wales better than this lady, so she's she certainly knows she's got the skills. So I did like that line. And uh, we stop here at 1 hour, 35 minutes, 28 seconds. But now we're going to jump back to earlier in the film, at 34 minutes, 38 seconds, as we talk about possibly the trippiest scene in any Star Trek movie or TV show. I'm just going to say the time travel scene. Go, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's an iconic scene. I have vivid memories of this scene, just like wondering what the hell was going on. And I don't know, it's Ahura's giant cloudy head. I think about that like once a week, just how, <laughs> how weird it looks. Because it's just so bizarre. But it's such a strange scene. Um, start off with uh, the crew clouds morphing, and then get this really weird, like, cetacean-y shape just floating in the middle. I wondered whether that might be supposed to be a vision of the like the probe builder, the sort of not quite a whale, but sort of a an aquatic-looking thing. I, I, you, you weren't sure. Then you get the uh, you get the man, the fellow, the, the like polystyrene guy, just like dropping down. And uh, he lands some water, and then and then there's some reeds. And I thought that was the I thought that was the I thought was them landing in the park. So that wasn't that was that's them like some reeds. I didn't. Paul, it is obviously yes. I again the commentary they didn't really say too much about this other than the fact that it was obviously not anything to do with any of the Star Trek actors and and, and Noy himself as the director. Um, obviously didn't have any involvement in this. It was. Somebody, they must have gone to somebody and said, give us some sort of thing that you can put in here that will give an idea of time travel. And this guy's gone, yeah, yeah, I can do that, yeah. <laughs> Off gone, spoke, you know, taken some LDS and uh, thought, hey, put this in. And I think it was, it's sort of um, bamboozled Nemoy because he didn't really know what to say other than this is somebody's impression of what time travel's like. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't think he was too impressed, but of course they spent a lot of money on doing it, so they have to put it in. Um, yeah, yeah, bizarre. I, I, I mean, nobody can argue against us and say, but that's not what what time travel is really like. You, because it could be. I mean, perhaps that's it is. Every time somebody time, every time somebody goes back in time, it's all you know, over <laughs> his head. You know, I don't know. I'm convinced. In the in the modern iterations of Star Trek, the next time somebody goes back in time. We're going to be seeing a big cloudy head. I think it's going to. I think it's that time has come. It's going to come back around. So <laughs> it's, look out. it's going to happen. Everything just uh, boils into each day. other. Oh yes, yeah. could be. Yeah, could happen. Time in traveling. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just two characters describing what happened. You don't actually see it, but it's yeah. like, did you get that weird trick in about the guy flowing fire? No, no. Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, either I've gone backwards in time or I've been eating too many Pillbury Doughboy products. <laughs> I'd have been dreaming about mannequins. It's really strange. Um, yeah, it's iconic. Um, yeah, it's one of the iconic scenes in the film. <laughs> you could, if you're going to name five scenes from this film, that'd be one of the scenes. <laughs> you know, the, the job. It's yeah. It was my first. I think it's my first introduction to CGI as a kid. Just thinking that CGI is like this. This is what you do. You make heads meld into other heads and all this kind of stuff. You know, later I'll discover like Tron and all sort of thing before it moves on the proper stuff and Lawnmower Man in the 90s and all this sort of thing. But this is CGI as far as I was concerned uh, back then. 
and it's it still baffles me today i didn't understand it then i still don't understand it now uh, it's a good thing that this podcast has no visuals because uh, i don't want to tell you what i see when i travel in this little bubble of mine um <laughs> but um that it we have reached the end we are at 35 minutes and 33 seconds we seem to gone back on ourselves strangely enough very strange um another time loop that's great time loops fantastic time loops so that's locations but here is our ratings criteria L has been done, so we move on to C, continuity. Now, we've alluded to lots of it in the, in the discussion. We're going to start with uh, Paul, and then we'll go to Ross. Paul, continuity. Based on everything we've seen, do you think that there is a change to the Star Trek universe? No. Um, but I don't see why. It should be a yes. Nothing did happen. Nothing, nothing that we have seen has affected anything the, you know, in the future episode. So, no, but it should do because, as like we said, people go missing. Things, you know, whales go missing, and with trackers on them. I mean, you know, things, things have happened here that maybe not big things in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, things have gone. Some things have happened that should be noticed. Russ, I maybe nothing. So in the twenty in the twenty first century, maybe nothing has changed. So. Yeah, Jilly's gone missing, the whales are missing. These are modern mysteries, which I'm sure will be explored. Um, we, we know that there's been a security breach on the Enterprise, uh, the, the, the naval vessel. The, there's a medical marvel occurring at Mercy, uh, Mercy Hospital. Um, the lady's grown a new kidney, and something bizarre is going on linked to the incursion. So I think there'd be, sort of, there'd be investigations, there'd be a knowledge that this strange thing has happened. But probably in the 21st century, nothing has in the uh, 20th century, nothing has changed. Um, it'll just carry on going. The change all occurs later on. Yep. I can't think. I can't. The name of the newspaper uh, that the, um, the in America that would have US maybe US Today or whatever it is. What the Inquirer? The, the Inquirer. I'll be it. Whales go missing in, in in mysterious circumstances. Yeah. A woman grows a new kidney. All of this be on the front yeah, page, and everybody it. go. Um, you haven't heard this at the moment uh, Ross, or no, actually I think you have Uh, it's the Roswell episode we just had uh, on Temple Trek Um, but if there were a sort of behind the scenes government organisation that's been brewing since Roswell, are they covering this up, maybe there's something there Uh, maybe they're finding some way of uh, taking care of all the energy behind the scenes, but without doing any of that, I think just taking what we've seen I would say there's no impact because we've had three time loops. We've had the um, transparent aluminum. We've had time loop of the glasses. We've also had the time loop of the kidney. If you think about it, if they investigate that, they're going to make some sort of device that would uh, work the same way. They then sort of have all that medical technology. Perhaps that's where that kidney treatment comes from. So that in 300 years' time, that's where it will eventually get to. They can approximate. They've seen how it's going to happen. And because we've got three time loops, and as we've seen before, times mean that everything is all tied up for us, and I don't think there's any impact on continuity. Everything that happened in this movie was supposed to happen. There was always supposed to be George and Gracie. It was always supposed to be there. But for some reason, the records just aren't remembered by people until 300 years later. Um, that does open up the bootstrap paradox. As with any time loop, there had to be the first mission, and they went back. So from that, I'm saying that there was an original timeline. 
when the whales weren't taken and when something didn't happen. But a crew, not necessarily this crew, had to go back, save the whales the first time to then send the probe back. But then obviously then they would have to go back and then there would be that crew and then there would be Kirk's crew and there would be more crews. There would be a, a divergent timeline somewhere. So for me, I'm going to say there are two timelines. There's the constantly looping timeline where nothing happens, but there is going to be that original timeline. So at the moment, until I proved otherwise, I'm going to say there's another timeline out there for now. Fun times. I still have to draw this diagram that uh, charts yeah. out where it all comes from, because we've got one from the 19th century, we've got another one from, uh, earlier in this 20th century, and now we've got this one as well. Uh, and we've got one coming up, thanks to Season Zero, um, just uh, before Deep Space Nine happened. So, yay, me, I'm going to enjoy my giant diagram. It's brilliant. Um, so, continuity done. Alterations. Now, alterations doesn't mean we have to change anything, it just means, is there anything in this movie you would love to have seen explored more? Something in the background, an extra scene or two, another joke. Is there anything you want to do? Paul first. Um, yeah, no, it would be very easy for me to sit here and say, this film is perfect for me. Don't change anything. It's great. Uh, would I like to see anything else sort of expanded? Um, no, I think it's all pretty much sorted for me, really. I'm quite happy with the way this, this film pans out and, and all the characters sort of you know tidy themselves up before they leave. I think, no, I think it's good. I mean, how can you how can you change perfection? It, it just it works nicely. It's such a beautiful film. I enjoyed it more watching it for this podcast, and I've enjoyed it the previous times. And I anticipate I'll enjoy it more the next time I watch it, which I don't think will be too far away. Uh, it's just solid, solid gold TV, solid gold filmmaking. Not just of Star Trek, but of all films. It is a brilliant film. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I, what you just said there, Ross, is amazing. I, I had the same feeling that I've watched. I haven't seen this for quite a while now. I mean, a few years since I've seen this film. Uh, with the director's commentary on and finding out that you know, a lot of the scenes were improvised makes it even better for me. Um, it, and it is funnier now that I've seen it with... Because I'm thinking, oh, well, I know this film. I've seen it before. It's you know, it's one of my favourites. I know it. No, I, I, uh, there's a lot more in there to do really sort of focus on. And uh, yeah, I love watching it for this. I'll watch it again. I'm going to watch this again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm exactly the same. I really couldn't think of anything. It all sort of tie, ties nicely. It all a nice, neat little bow. Um, the comedy is perfect. The delivery is brilliant. Um, yeah, you could you know sit here and maybe poke a few holes in the plots and things like that and things that might not work. And you don't need that. Sulu's helicopter. Sulu's helicopter. You know, you don't need it. You don't need that. Um, it's just perfect as it is. So I think I know what the next rating is going to be from everybody. But with recommendations, do we recommend to Star Trek fans, Paul? Yes, of course. This is the only film that really hits a 10 out of 10 for me. To Ross. Of course, everybody, everyone who calls themselves a Star Trek fan has already watched this film, and they already love yeah. it. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's three yeses here. This is the starter. This is almost the first thing you have to watch. If you are making yeah. you know, the, the perfect Star Trek fan, you have to start here. It's the one everyone's seen, so that when they tell other people and spread the good word of Star Trek to their doors, you know, there it is. It's right there. So to non-Star Trek fans, what do we say, Paul? Well, yes. Uh, I, I would say yes, because it has all the elements. Everybody's there, everybody's in character. Uh, they're all doing the you know, right things. It's a fish-out-of-water film. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, watch it. I would say to people first, though, don't make this first thing you watch, because if you think this is Star Trek, you are so wrong. But um, it is a, a, a nice, especially if you, if you watch the films from... You know, 
you know, one, two, ten, or eleven, twelve, ten, however, however many you want to call. Uh, this is a nice little break in between quite a serious one and a seriously bad one. So it's um, it's a good it's a good little breather. It's a nice little uh, mouth cleanser before you go to the you know, go back into Pro Star Trek again. Ross, I, I think I would recommend it. I, I think because it is one of the, as you say, it's one of those films that everyone already has seen. I think it already becomes a film that non-Star Trek fans perhaps would want would want to watch you know because it is run with the whales we all know it. um i do think i do think it just it has that appeal of being a film with a message it's set in for the most part in modern day and i think you're right to an extent when you say it's not it's not stereotypical star trek it's not them going to a planet and meeting aliens and it hasn't got a villain as such but i do think it does have the, the star trek ethos of like positive exploration our crew in a difficult scenario and then working through it with a positive outcome so i do think it has those has all those bits so i definitely i think it's the kind of thing i would show to people even for the first even for the first time and say let's just let's just sit down and watch this it's great ignore the first five minutes let's just carry on to get to 1986 that's that's a good point you bring up there i, I was going to bring that up that there is no bad guy yeah this is the only star trek film that does not have a villain that's it. It's perfect. It, uh, you could argue maybe it's the whaling ship. They're defeated within 30 seconds of seeing them, so it's fine. Yeah, there's no there's no villain there at all. Yeah, this is what I like to call a bank holiday movie. Um, it's just mm. it's one of those ones that's always on, whether it's Easter, whether it's Christmas. You got James Bonds. You've got this movie. You got your Man One to Three maybe, uh, and then that's it. You have to just watch it at some point. Um, sitting down to watch it with my kids, like I said, the only one they've ever seen. My kid loves it because there's you know there's whales and there's like the nautical element and the funny comedy and seeing the punk being you know, put out on the bus. The scary guy on the bus is being just taken up with a nerve pinch, and now they want to learn the nerve pinch. That's really cool. Where do you learn that, Daddy? All this kind of stuff. All these kind of conversations come out. That's for me. That is the beauty of this movie. You don't have to be a Star Trek fan. You don't have to know that it's got all the fancy lasers and spaceships later on. Um, you can just enjoy the time travel bit and just sit back and enjoy the comedy of these actors who've been around each other for so long. They kind of know each other's foibles and they work off each other so well. Just let it be. Just let it just ex- just explode in front of you like a mannequin on fire and just enjoy it. <laughs> um, and um, importance to continuity. I think I know where this one's going as well. To the godlike entities, do we have to keep this in the franchise? Watch just this scene, not necessarily the whole film, but just the time travel bit. Could it have been done a different way? Is there something else they could have done? Do you think this has to happen as it happens? Oh yes, they have to go back in time. They have to go and they have to find a whale. So maybe not the twentieth century, but they have to go back at some point. Yeah. Uh, if they ever did the Star Trek four for the Kelvin universe and this, they just decided let's just redo Wales, and they went back to the 21st century instead. You know, maybe they'd do it, but there's something about it that just fits this time period. When we were looking at history, there's so much overlap. Um, yeah. Well, that's right. Well, that's right. We've got so much technology now. I mean, mobile phones, communicators. Um, nobody would get the yellow pages references and the. You know, the fact that you've got the great big stereo on the side of your head when we could just have the little earphone things. Like, what, what's that all about, Grandad? You know, I mean, it's just... 
It'd be a kid playing playing music on his mobile phone really loudly. <laughs> yes. That's what it'd be. Well, not really loudly, but that annoying yeah, volume that all you really can hear is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, maybe their probe in the Coven universe it just wants Wi-Fi, and because there's no more Wi-Fi future, <laughs> they have to come back to the 21st century to get Wi-Fi. It's not the one with the whales, it's the one with Wi-Fi. Yeah, he's looking for 5G <laughs> things. Yeah. That's what it is. They're not actually being set on fire by people. It's the thing. It's big boat putting so much energy into ropes, spontaneously bursting into flames. 6G, 6G. 6G. it's saying. Now, but that scene with the uh, the beatbox on his, on his shoulder, the punk, actually happened to Leonard Noy. He was walking through uh, town and a guy came out of a, um, a store with this great big ghetto blaster on it. And he walked down the street, getting into people's faces with it and really annoying people with it and you know, playing it loud, really loud music. And Nimoy thought to himself, if I was really Spock, I'd pinch his neck off. So he's put it into the film. Genius. Genius. I can't think of a better note to leave that on. Um, well, Thank you so much, guys, for watching this along with me. Um, before I do the last criteria, um, just again, uh, give it a chance to plug what you're doing at the moment, any podcasts you're working on, and where people can find you. Paul first. Uh, yes, thanks, Dan. Uh, as you know, uh, we are currently, both me and Dan, doing a, a Cosmic Pizza podcast, which is basically a, a podcast that we talk about anything and everything. Uh, if people want to come on and be a guest on the show and talk about what really interests them in life, that'd be great. Um, if you want to do that, just get in touch on uh, good old-fashioned email uh, at the uh, what is it, Cosmic Pizza podcast uh, at hotmail.com. Perfect memory. Here we go. And Ross... And you can catch me on Twitter uh, at strtrk1701 or the podcast Snaptrack at Snaptrack also on Twitter. And we've always got uh, an exciting new episode coming out uh, in your time zone. It certainly does. It Look, look, you've got a new subscriber. Oh, thank you very much. Excellent. It is fantastic. I, I love listening to that. It's it's one of those ones where as soon as it comes into the feed, it's the first one I listen to because it's a nice like, feel-good start to your day because you just got this episode you know and you love and like, are they going to like, match up? I think the, the Tribbles, the Trouble with Tribbles one for me and uh, the Trials and Tribulations crossover and you compared the two whilst also looking at the same scenes. Just a perfect, perfect way. Yeah, it, it was very fun to do that. And there's always one sort of, like, you had that, that idea in mind for a long time that that would be one that we'd have to do. And I probably took us over a, a year to get there. But yeah, I'm there. and what's really surprising is the amount of ideas that people send us for, like, comparisons, try these two episodes. And we've just recorded one, and I would never have put those two together. And yet it worked so well. I, at the end of it, I was absolutely baffled because I would never have thought of it. But the next one that comes out, it, a completely baffler. I, I can't, I can't wait to listen to the Wink of an Eye versus Blink of an Eye. To Wink of an Eye was certainly my favourite. Very good. Yeah, I did like how Jen uh, loved the outfit for the um, the female alien for um, uh, Blink of an Eye. Um, and that's and that's what is good because she really. You know, she'll look at something a different way to me, or we'll think about something completely separately. But yeah, she took it down with that outfit, that outfit uh, analysis. And at the end of it, it's not just it's not just a really eye-catching outfit. There's so much, there's so many design features put in, and like thought about what's supposed to do. And she really captured it. So it was really great to to, to listen to her say all these things. 
Well, I look to hopefully she will be on a future episode as well. So, uh, there we go. Spoilers. Um, moving on to the last criteria then. Thank you very much, guys. As we go to set up, join me next time for Season 1, Part 2, Episode 10. Really 10 episodes on this scene. And we are going to Voyager, Season 3, Future's End, at 6 minutes and 29 seconds. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. They say the sea is cold, but the sea contains the hottest blood of all, and the wildest, the most urgent. All the whales in the wider deeps, hot are they, as they urge on and on and dive beneath the icebergs. The right whales, the sperm whales, the hammerheads, the killers. There they blow, there they blow, hot, wild, white breath out of the sea. And they rock, and they rock, through these sensual, ageless ages, on the depths of the seven seas. And though the salt they reel with drunk delight, and in the tropics tremble, they with love and the roll with massive, strong desire, like gods. Then the great bull lies up against his bride in the blue deep bed of the sea, as mounting, pressing on mountain, in zest of life, and out of the inward roaring of the inner red ocean of whale blood. The long tip reaches strong, intense, like the maelstrom tip, and comes to rest in the clasp and the soft, wild clutch of she's whale's fathomless body. And over the bridge of the whale's strong phallus, Linking the wonder whales, the burning archangels under the sea keep passing back and forth, keep passing archangels of bliss from him to her, from her to him, great cherubim, that wait on the whales in mid-ocean, suspended in the waves of the sea, great heaven of whales in the waters, old hierarchies, and enormous mother whales lie dreaming, suckling their whale-tender young, the dreaming with strange whale eyes, wide open in the waters of the beginning and the end. And bull whales gather their women and whale calves in a ring, when danger threatens on surface of the ceaseless flood, and range themselves like great fierce seraphim, facing the threat, encircling their huddled monsters of love. And all this happens in the sea, in the salt, where God is also love but without words, and Aphrodite is the wife of Wales, most happy, happy she. And Venus, among the fishes, skips, and is she dolphin? She is the gay, delighted porpoise, sporting with love and the sea. She is the female tuny fish, round and happy among the males, and dense with happy blood, dark rainbow bliss in the sea. What is this poem? Oh my! Nice. Well done, that Thank man. Thank you very much, well guys. That was perfect. Thank you. Um, that's two hours. I think I might have to split this into two. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm so one. sorry for taking two hours of your time, but it, it was so no, no, it was a pleasure. So good to talk. Don't worry about it. Oh, that, it when you say it's a pleasure, yes, genuine pleasure to watch that again and then talk about it again was just amazing. So yeah, that's really my day, that one. <laughs>
it, it was, yeah, you're right. It, it's been way too long since I watched it, and it was. I watched it. I did your time. I watched the like the time frame and kept to it. And I was like, I'm allowed to the rest yeah, of it, yeah. right? I can, I can <laughs> carry on watching the end. So I started, I watched the end of it too. Well, I used to put on and uh, put the coffee on, and of course they'd be speaking until they get into the film. So. Uh, so I listened to the whole thing, as, you know, so that I could get the background of the thing. But I didn't realise it, it was a good thirty minutes before we get into the the bit that I'm supposed to be watching the homework for. You know, so oh, 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 I have to watch it all now. <laughs> Two hours later, yeah, it's all done. Yeah. You're getting your researching. You see, as you said back in the, the Carbon Creek episode, you managed to you know get research of the human condition yeah. by watching TV. Perfect. That's great. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And the only thing is, it was such a good film but of course half the time they're talking over it I've got to watch it again I've got to watch it properly now <laughs> oh, it was so good I'm just saving my uh, audacity yes, version right. of it at the moment there we go I'm going to title it Infinite Kidneys for now I think <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to contact the show there's now a Twitter account Search Temporal Trek Podcast at rider underscore coattail or contact me directly at hitch underscore Daniel. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel underscore hitch underscore writer. There's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free, there's no Patreon at all. But, if you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream.